0: Listening to the Order Transmissions Episode 106. And now, here are Craig and Jeff.
1: welcome back to the tricorder transmission. This is episode 106. Today we'll be covering the animated series episode The Survivor, which originally aired on October 13th of 1973. We are your hosts Jeff Hewlett and Craig Cohen. Mr. Cohen, how are you today? All right, all right, Jeff. good to uh, good to talk to you as always. Excellent. Always, always good to talk to you as well. And um, before we dive into our commentary, something that makes me very fond of this episode, I'm not sure if you saw this or not while you were doing your research for this, but there's a guest voice actor on this episode who is quite near and dear to my heart, and he's not a normal, uh, someone you'd associate with Star Trek, and that is the famous comedian Ted Knight.
0: Yes, are you making time with my best girl?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, famous for many roles, uh, including Caddyshack, of course, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and Too Close for Comfort, and tons and tons of other uh, television shows and movies. But uh, we, we, we love Ted Knight, I think both of us do. Oh, yeah. So uh, when I looked up the, the credits for this one and saw Ted Knight, I had to go and make sure it was the Ted Knight. And uh, yeah, he plays the, um, the alien slash... Uh, intergalactic philanthropist Carter Winston in this episode and does a pretty good job. In fact, doesn't doesn't really even sound like Ted Knight to me. No, no. So that was that was pretty cool. So uh, are you ready to uh, dive into the commentary? Oh, yes, sir. All right. So we are going to start up our DVDs here. Uh, feel free to start yours up. We'll give you a three count. Uh, that's when we're going to start and uh, you can follow along on our commentary track. So here we go. Three.
0: 2 1 It's funny that you mentioned um DVD because um as we know or hopefully know um the animated series will be coming out on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, I saw that and I I'm imagining that that uh, big box set is going to be really pricey. Yeah, I think it's got to be upwards of $400. Oh god, absolutely because you're getting so much content. Is it 30 something discs, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well what is it? It's the original series. Yep. Uh, the animated series and then the all the original crew movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So, so.
0: so that's a lot of a lot of content there. And uh I know there's been a lot of talks about hopefully they'll break the animated series away for those that have everything else, but um who knows. I mean, Star Trek really is a cash cow, and um I think everybody knows that when they put out something new, um, or at least, uh, on the new format an updated high def format, um, people are going to buy it even if they own it already. So, uh, I know I'm not gonna, as much as I like the, the, the animated series, but, uh, if you have not gotten into Star Trek, uh, on the home video collecting end of things, um, it's a great time to be a fan.
1: It definitely is. And, uh, I love that we get the Romulan neutral zone reference yeah. right here in the beginning. So mm-hmm. yet again, more TOS Stuff getting dragged into the into the animated series, really, really cool. And this this scene reminds me we're finding that this. There he is. There's Kyle. There's <laughs> Lieutenant Kyle working the transporter. I, I thought it was funny because the alien looks a heck of a lot like him. Carter Winston looks a heck of a lot like him. And did you notice that? McCoy seems to think somebody being missing for five years is this incredible thing. <laughs> like there's no way he could possibly turn up. Never mind the fact that we found from Cochran.
0: Yeah, well, especially in outer
1: space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like you're missing from your hometown for five years. I mean, it could be anywhere out there. So we've got... Um, uh, here's a moment in this episode that really threw me for a loop. And that's McCoy just casually man- uh, mentioning the fact that he's got a daughter. Yeah. So um, that is the only time. As far as I know, that he the daughter actually mentioned on screen, although she was in the actual writer's guide, oh, for the okay. original series, so she is canon in a way. And uh, once again, once again, there's a female fiance on board the Enterprise. Very convenient. Yeah, that that just so happens.
0: To- yeah, that daughter is actually mentioned in I, a couple episodes back. I I talked about the autobiography of James T. Kirk mm-hmm. that came out a little while ago, and. um there's a section in the book where um, Kirk talks about uh, the times he talked to McCoy about his daughter and sort of, you know, dealing with the fact that you were gone for these extended period uh, periods of time, um, you know, sort of leaving a family behind. Mm. Really interesting stuff. And it's probably the most problematic aspect of Star Trek in yeah. terms of, you know, the idea that, you know, people would start families and then put them through such, um, I don't know if turmoil is the right word.
1: Mm, I think that's something they started to address in later series where some of them had their families with them on the ship. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Wesley. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do so, you see the idea? I love this whole identity
0: tape concept. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, very cool. They're doing voice analysis and fingerprint analysis. And,
1: and he happens to be wearing the same clothes in his <laughs> ID photo that he's still wearing today. Uh, and I love that a fingerprint is still, uh, yeah, an identification factor in the 23rd century.
0: Yeah, you think they would just do, like, some kind of DNA um, check.
1: Yeah, Bones has all kinds of scanners that he could use to to determine, you know, who you are via your DNA. Probably wouldn't have to extract anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's Nurse Chapel's brief appearance in this episode. Although Majel does do some other voices uh, in this besides just Nurse Chapel. So she she had some other... Stuff did you you notice that Ohura uh, or Nichelle Nichols rather doesn't really uh, have much of a role at all? She's in some background shots, but she actually does the voice of uh, Anne Lorad here. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder
0: if that was a like a a union thing.
1: Yeah, who knows? But at least she's she's got something going on. Yeah, and so so here we're getting some uh, background information on Carter Winston, the intergalactic philanthropist who they believe they've just rescued from a disabled ship. And uh, he got some foreshadowing there uh, a few minutes ago when he was talking to McCoy and they had a little bit of a an exchange about whether or not um, you know, the, the medical examination was showing that uh, there was a real problem with him or if it was just the, the malfunction. And there was a little joke in there about whether or not he was human. So a little foreshadowing there.
0: I love, I love okay. how his hair and his mustache look like. He can just take them off at the end of the day. Before yeah, really, and dead. his
1: eyebrows are a different color. Yes. It's really, so he must dye the mustache and hair. Yeah. And, of course, he breaks her heart. And Yeah,
0: pretty cold-blooded.
1: Yeah, did you notice there's a lot of, in this episode, there's a lot of taking the con and changing the con, <laughs> and you've got the con, and Spock take the con. and It, it seems to happen like three or four times in in a two-minute span here, and, yeah. Yeah, we're about to get the big reveal, of course, as to what this guy really is. But um I I I love the fact that we're getting a non-humanoid alien here and I wonder is this something that he has to do? Does he have to cross his arms over his chest to transform? Because mm-hmm. he does it again when he's in squid form.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: And there Ooh. it is, the squidly and neck pinch. <laughs> and I love how lovingly he lays Kirk to bed. Yeah. So that calls into question, you know, and there's he has to cross his tentacles to change back. That calls into question whether or not he's truly an evil alien, because he didn't kill Kirk. In fact, he just knocks him out and puts him in bed. So what does that say? Does he have uh, benevolent uh, intentions, or is he up to something no good? Well, I think we'll find out. I guess we will. I guess we will. But I I love the concept of a floating squid that just kind of, flops around. Here we go. We're going to change the con again. And we're going to go to a planet called Rator 3, which I don't believe we ever get uh, get to, but we're going through the Romulan neutral zone, so here we go. We know what's coming. We're going to get caught by Romulan at some point, but did you notice, Craig, that any time an alien impersonates a member of the Enterprise crew, there's always some kind of tell? Oh, yeah. And it's usually the same tell. It's just odd behavior. That's <laughs> yeah. always how you know. So no alien can successfully impersonate uh, any member of the crew because we we know them so well and they know each other so well that any odd behavior is an immediate tip off that something is wrong.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and if you think about it, imagine like um, uh, me and you met up somewhere. Mm. You know, maybe even for lunch. How long do you think it would take for one of us to figure out that the other one was
1: whoa, there was something going on? An imposter, yeah. Because you know, the minute you saw me eat Mexican food, you know it wasn't me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know what's funny about Doppelkirk here? He how does how does the alien know the name of everybody on the bridge?
0: Mm, well, he's done a lot of research, obviously. Because
1: mm, possibly, yeah, yeah. Well, once we find out his real backstory here, well. We'll understand a little bit more that maybe explain my question, but I thought it was funny how he just stroll onto the bridge and immediately know everybody. Mm-hmm. Did Did Gene Roddenberry help with this script? Mm, I am not quite sure about that. I saw
0: some I saw something online, but I I wasn't a hundred percent on whether or not to believe it or not because you know the final credits don't indicate that.
1: Hmm. I'll have to look that up afterwards. I, I I did some research, but I didn't see anything necessarily about that.
0: Now the the other thing that's interesting here is with the alien taking people over. Uh, as we saw, he brought Kirk up to bed instead of like mm. locking him away somewhere.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the strange part about it. Is is he? What is his real intention? Here's here's another one of these weird Enterprise miracles that an edited <laughs> multi camera shoot of everything that just happened. So now we know that that Kirk. You know, there's somebody else impersonating Kirk. Maybe maybe the alien's trying to mess with them and make them think that, um, you know, make Kirk think he's going crazy. Yeah. Maybe that's his goal. Take the con, I just... <laughs> con, just a million cons. And we just got an offhand reference to Mress, who doesn't actually come on screen until a little bit later. But, but Kirk uh, asked her to... Um, signal a yellow alert, but I thought that was interesting that they they reference a character by name before they actually show the character on screen. So people are like, who the heck is that? Yeah. And we haven't seen her prior to this. Uh-oh. There goes McCoy. And see now he drags McCoy into the closet and locks him up. Which is very strange. He didn't do that with Kirk, but he did it with uh with McCoy. So I, I'm not sure exactly uh what the, the MO here is. But um, did he know, did the alien know that 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 Norad was coming down to to talk to the doctor and he figured he'd come and head her off at the pass? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. So this is this is really cold blooded moment here. That he's he's you know, we know that this is Carter Winston here impersonating McCoy, but man. He's he's pretty cold, dude. Mm-hmm. Telling his fiance, "Listen, you know, Carter told you to get lost. So uh, I highly advise you to take that uh, take that to heart and and beat the concrete. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Forget about him. Mm. Poor chick. I feel bad for. Her. That's pretty yeah. cold. Same kind of thing, though. I mean, this is um, this is kind of like the uh, the Enterprise playbook. So Kirk." Kirk's doing the right thing here wanting a medical examination I think but gets dismissed and here's the here's the tell here's the weird behavior tell you know Spock's picking up on it so now we we know that this is not McCoy Spock's got this down can't get anything by him This is a kind of a strange interaction but I love the fact that that Spock's pulling Kirk aside here in a in a public corridor. In a public corridor, and but this is a, this is a great character moment because you no know, McCoy wouldn't admit that he he's he's made an error, right? Yeah. And Spock calls him out on. He's like, I know that he wouldn't do that. And then they find the real McCoy, who's convinced that he must have taken a nap instead of something definitely bad happened. Because do you notice that both Kirk and McCoy don't remember what they were doing before they fell asleep?
0: Yeah, yeah. normally when I take a nap, I remember saying, hey, you know what? You uh, I'm sitting here on the couch watching a boring TV show. You know what? Let's take a nap.
1: Let's take a nap. And I love how Kirk clues right into the fact that uh, there's an extra bed <laughs> in the lab, in the uh, in the room there. McCoy didn't pick up on it. He spends all his time in sickbay, didn't pick up on the fact there's an extra bed there, but Kirk immediately saw it. But very cool, though. I, I love the fact that this alien can transform into inanimate objects. Yeah. But, you know, that that whole calls into question a whole other aspect of this. And, you know, there's a whole sequence coming up where they're trying to f- f- figure out where the alien went. Uh, actually, let me pause that for a second and say, I love the fact that Spock knows exactly what that is the second he sees it, but yeah. nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one else has seen this, but Spock knows that... Um, and he's gonna give he gives you the whole rundown of exactly what that alien is, what they do, and uh you know, that the fact that they're kinda of banned. Uh that we're not allowed to to go to their planet. Their planet is off limits because uh of their general trickery. Yeah. So I love how it's kinda like Does it, now are you do you think that's floating down the hallway or was it walking down the hallway on its tentacles?
0: <sighs> I think the intent was for it to be to be walking but I think the li- limitations of the animation made it seem like it was floating yeah more than likely but
1: so it's a vendorian uh the alien is called a vendorian so squid like uh floating alien that can shape shift by uh changing its molecular structure there's the old <laughs> kung fu the kung fu the phaser out of your hand that's 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 a trope and uh, and he makes his way through the door and he gets away but yeah, so this this is a very strange concept to me because I think this alien has a huge upper hand in the fact that he can literally transform into just about anything. So I, I, why would he turn back into Carter Winston? Why wouldn't he just turn into like a garbage can or a ladder or something and no one would know. I mean, uh, the ship is so huge. The guy could literally go and hide as as a piece of equipment or, you know, something that people would just run right by why does he change back into carter winston i just don't get that part
0: yeah no i agree because he yeah he is the it's it's obvious if you ever see Car- carter winston that it's not him now this okay. definitely this definitely feels like a uh, an original series episode do they you time. do you think um, it's always interesting to, to think about, you know, this is a half hour, you know, running time versus the hour for the show. Mm. And it makes you wonder how different the story would have played out, um, at least in the setup, before we get the reveal. Oh,
1: definitely. Definitely. Yeah, if they'd have expanded this out to an hour story, I think we would have gotten a lot more uh, backstory, uh, the more relationship between uh, Norad and, uh, and Winston. There would have been more of that in there. I think there would have been a lot more uh, backstory about Winston himself. Uh, That would have been a lot of stuff. You probably wouldn't have seen the alien until like right before the end of act one, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or the beginning of act two somewhere in there.
0: Watch that jettison pod button.
1: Oh man. (laughs) He almost got it. I I like the fact that the Romulans are pretty much screen accurate to the original series. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, James Mm -hmm. doing, doing the voice. But the hair's a little off. It is. It is, but I, I like the fact that they're bringing over the the whole neutral zone treaty and the fact mm-hmm. that um Oh, here's the introduction of Umres. <laughs> there she is. The famous catwoman.
0: Yeah, and again like the uh like the like this guy here, um mm-hmm. it's done with very little fanfare.
1: Yeah, no. A-Rex and Umres get um they get introduced as if they've always been there. But I kind of I kind of like the fact that they're putting these uh, different characters in. I really wish that we would get more of that mm-hmm. in Star Trek. I mean, the, in the J.J. movies, they have some more interesting looking characters like that, um, you know, in the modern movies. But they really wasn't a big thing, even in a lot of the, the series, the, the regular series that we've seen in TNG and, and DS9 and Voyager. They didn't really go outside of the box too too much. Mm-hmm. with makeup. I mean, you had like, you know, Dr. Phlox and, um, you know, but that, that really was, he was still kind of humanoid with a lot of makeup on. They didn't go too, too crazy. Whoa. Did you see that? That neck grab? Yeah. Wow. Scotty took a nosedive. That was a tough one, man. So that, that aliens got that nerve pinch thing down. I love that. So we've got the same crossover too, between the Romulan ships and the Klingon ships in this one. So we, we know in the, in the movies, uh, the Klingons were flying those ships, and there was always some crisscross in, in TOS as to who those ship designs belonged to. And I guess the, the, the consensus is that they shared that design. But, um, another interesting uh, thing I picked up on is when Kirk is sitting in his chair and he calls down to security, a female voice answers. So once again, we've got uh, a reference to female security detail uh, on the Enterprise, as we had in the Lorelei signal. A pretty diverse mm-hmm. group there. Pretty neat. And here we go. She's got the drop on Winston again, and he's gonna talk her out of it. Which I mean, you know, how d- does she not know that there's a stun setting on that face? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, she is a security officer, isn't she?
1: I I mean, can't you? I, uh, that's the thing that bugs me. I mean, she it's it's like in her mind, it's she's either got to kill him or let him go. There's a third option here. That we see used many, many, many times across every series of Trek. In fact, I, I would venture to say if you went through all of the uh, Trek shows and movies that the number of times they've killed with a phaser is is far, far less than the time they've stunned with oh, yeah. a phaser. So it should be common knowledge that she could just knock him out. But then again, I wonder if a uh, phaser on stun would work on him. That's a good point. Hmm. That's something that I wish we could have explored. If he had an hour show, mm-hmm. maybe we would have seen it. But there he, he has to cross his arm again. He is a cool looking alien, though, man. I really dig that. I wish he they would have appeared in other series. I guess the CG would have been kind of up. Oh, there's a nice shot of the Klingon ship. I love how they draw the ships in the animated series. I think they look really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he escapes out the same door he escaped out of last time. He keeps going through the doors. So we got a little bit of space battle action, which is a little more. There's rest again. She's got a lot of dialogue in this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Her agent worked hard for her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know about you, but I think Lorad should be uh, court-martialed after this. <laughs> I mean that that's two two times that she allowed him to escape when she easily had to drop on him. I mean that's you know letting your personal feelings get involved with your duty, especially after we found that the this alien has sabotaged the enterprise yeah, you know he's 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 dragged them into cl- into the neutral zone, got them into a fight. Oh here we go. This is another question did Have we ever seen them fire phasers and photon torpedoes in sync like that? I don't think so. That's like mega power, isn't it? Oh, they're yeah. like They're shooting to kill there. Mm hmm. They just did it again. Yeah, we got the the Romulans are retreating, but pretty cool sh- uh, scene there with the three ships. Uh, hmm. Interesting. So we we haven't really talked much about the fact that the Romulans have planted the alien on the Enterprise as a spy, which mm-hmm. is a kind of a neat concept, isn't yeah. it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and something that the the enterprise had done to the romulans previously.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, good, hey, good 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 call there. I totally didn't make that connection. But yeah, we 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 altered Kirk and sent him in. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And you know, let me ask you a question here too. If Scotty said it was going to take 2 hours to fix the shields, what the hell's he doing on the bridge? <laughs> <coughs> Get the hell back to work, dude. No wonder it's going to take two hours. Isn't there hanging around the bridge? <laughs> oh, and here's another weird thing. I thought they said that the alien had to be something that was the same size exactly. and mass. How did he yep. become a
0: deflector shield? Exactly. That was my question.
1: I thought maybe they would have explained it by saying he like became the wires that fixed what he dis- what he messed up before that could I could buy that. Yeah, but I thought it was very weird. They said he was a he became the shield, but I liked I liked the turnaround though. I like the um, the fact that he's kind of redeeming himself, and you get the sob story here about how uh, you know on his on his planet he was a nobody. You know he was the he was useless. He had no skills, but uh, so the Romulans, of course, were exploiting uh, exploiting him and his shape shifting abilities to uh, attempt to you know, one up the. Kirk maybe this was revenge for mm-hmm. Kirk uh, duping the Romulans, right? Maybe he enabled that. Hmm. So, here's another weird part of this that that leaves me kind of shrugging my shoulders and wondering. I mean, he he implies the fact that the longer a Vendorian stays in someone else's form, the more they become that person. <laughs>
0: Yeah, (sighs) I, you know, it's probably that's 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 problematic.
1: That's very problematic. I mean, I I was wondering every time he knocks somebody out or he touch, does he have to touch you in order to take your form? I don't think he does. No. So is he actually somehow, uh, you know, telepathically taking your memories and your personality out of your mind? And that's weird to me. Great joke
0: at the end of this episode. Oh, I
1: love it. It's great. Good, good uh, Spock and uh, McCoy moment there to wrap the episode up. Very TOS. Mm -hmm. Very, very TOS. So I guess that brings us to the end of our commentary for The Survivor. Um, I guess we can talk about our essential votes, and I will go right out and say that I'm calling this episode essential for several reasons. Uh, Of course, the exposition of McCoy having a daughter – even though it doesn't really get mentioned anywhere else. It is part of the original Star Trek writer's guide. So in my mind, that is a canonical reference. Um, the Vendorians, an introduction of a new alien, which sadly does not recur. Uh, and we see other shapeshifters, um, famously. I mean, Odo, but we unfortunately none of them are Vendorians, as much as I wish they were. And the introduction of Mres, the uh, first on-screen appearance. Of rest. So um, what do you think, Craig?
0: I would agree um, for all the reasons you gave. Um, I think it's hard to dispute this one.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, that wraps up our coverage, and stay tuned. Uh, Heather Barker is going to be stopping by the studio to share her thoughts on this episode and how it stacks up to the previous two that she's watched, and she's still a TAS newbie, so that should be interesting. Stay tuned for that. Uh, Anything else you want to add, Craig, before we wrap?
0: No, man, it's... uh... It's fun as always.
1: All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and stay tuned. We'll be right back with Heather Barker. Hey, we are back with my Shore Leave co-host, Heather Barker, as promised. Heather, how's it going?
2: It's going well. How are you?
1: Doing pretty good, pretty good. We're back with another animated series episode. This time, Craig and I did our commentary track for The Survivor, which was um, an interesting episode for me because I always love non- humanoid aliens i think i probably Mm -hmm. beat that to death uh on the (laughs) tricorder transmissions prior that that whenever there's a non-humanoid alien i'm just really into it i just i love it so yeah um before we get into anything specific though on this episode how about you give us some general thoughts on uh the survivor versus the previous two that you had just watched for the first time the lorelei signal and uh more tribbles, more troubles how does it stack up
2: I say it's it's in second place if so I've watched three so I still I think Lorelai's signal is uh, controversial as it was I think there was just a lot to that episode um, story wise and then just again the visuals in it so far I have not seen that (laughs) again in the in the last two episodes that we've watched um and then i you know the last one was okay but i think this one was better um so yeah i rank it right in the middle second place i liked it um some of it i didn't like and we'll talk about that
1: okay it's kind of where i thought you might wind up <laughs> on this one this episode to me seems very tos i mean aside yeah. from the fact that they probably could never have pulled off uh, the, the alien in this, I just, I, I, it feels totally like something we would have seen. In fact, there's a lot of elements that I think were, were actually cherry picked and reused from TOS episodes. Yeah, yeah,
2: I did. And you know, we, we, we felt a little bit of that in the last episode where it called out to some TOS episodes. Um, and I found that again here and I definitely, felt like this was this was more in line with what we're used to in the show uh, versus the animated series
1: definitely so let's jump on over to I guess the most obvious topic and that is the introduction of the Vendorian race which uh, for the audience here I'm sure you've all seen the episode but just to re-describe it it's kind of a space squid with some (laughs) tentacles hanging down but it's also a shapeshifter which is kind of cool. It's always nice to see some sort of a alien with funky special powers. But you know, I I was I really loved this alien. But my my biggest disappointment was the fact that it's never ever ever seen again in yeah. any other Star Trek episode. So what did you think, Heather, about? the uh, the the Vendorian. Well, spoilers, because I didn't know we'd
2: never see him again. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I thought he was really cool. Um, he was a big part of why I liked the episode, uh, even though he looked like a, you know, giant floating octopus guy, uh, octopus of the future or something. Um, Talking he was octopus. very <laughs> Yeah, very believable um, and enjoyable to watch. I like that he kind of has the Vulcan nerve pinch down yeah. or some maneuvers similar to that. Um, I liked it a lot. And, you know, it. we'll talk about it more, I guess, in a little bit here. But he reminded me of another um, alien species that we've met in DS9. Hmm. And yeah, and uh, I was really thrilled. I, it was a big part of what I enjoyed about this episode.
1: Awesome. You know what? This really screamed to me. Because I, I I was scratching my head thinking, where have I seen this before? Where have I seen this before? And I finally got it. This is the same exact type of mechanic. So that the, you get the Romulans have set up the uh, Enterprise crew for an ambush using a shape-shifting alien, which is the same thing that the Klingons do to Kirk and McCoy in Star Trek VI.
2: And to get them true. to escape the
1: prison, right? They, they use Iman... Uh, as her, but you know, the funny thing yeah. about it is that Iman's character is actually a cameloid, uh, that's the race of that character, so it is not a Vendorian, which is a shame. They could have just used the Vendorian,
2: they could have. I guess I don't know if it just would have been too difficult to bring that to life on screen, probably, Budget you know, thing. yeah, and I, I guess that's why, but yeah, you know. And we don't see him in the comic books or anything, I guess. Man, nope. no, I'm disappointed in that. I
1: did lots of Googling <laughs> just to make sure that I wasn't wrong on this. And they do not pop up. I mean, there's other shapeshifters, obviously, that yeah, are used yeah. in Star Trek. But unfortunately, the Vendorian does not make a reappearance. Hopefully sometime in the future, maybe somebody will pick him up and use him again. I think he's one of the cooler looking aliens.
2: Yeah, we've got a whole new series coming with uh, lots of upgrades and special effects. There so. You go. Maybe we can uh, send them a letter. <laughs> yeah, we should
1: write that in. We should write that in and say, we want to see a Vendorian character. And I think we, we've kind of proven that the Vendorian can be a good guy yeah, in this. So you we know, can even have a Vendorian crew member yeah. on board the ship. Man, poor There's Vendorian. So many possibilities. I mean, how many buttons on a console could that guy press at one time? <laughs> He'd be so much more efficient than, than any of the Enterprise crew.
2: I think because of the animation, he only used, what, like two or three at a time?
1: Yeah, Tops. Um, he kind of manhandled <laughs> a couple of Enterprise crewmen at the same time, but that was yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, even when he was scurrying down the hallway, he wasn't really making full use of yeah. his, uh, his appendages. Yeah, more of a float, a float, floating
2: around.
1: But that would be a clue for all of you guys out there who are thinking of cosplay ideas.
2: Oh my gosh, good luck.
1: Pandorians, <laughs> get some Get some like pink hoses to hang off you and, and like maybe like a sheet with some sparkly crap on it. I maybe think we should
2: cool. uh we should challenge Adam Drosen to do that
1: one. Mm, that's a good one. I, I had thought about maybe trying to figure it out, but my suitcase isn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I that that would be that would be a challenge to transport. Yeah, costume. you'd have to
2: mail that one to the Rio.
1: Oh, good call. Yeah, we could box it up and send it out. But uh so you know what another thing that I thought was really cool about this episode And this is another one of those things that um, this is another argument I use when people talk about the animated series, you know, not being canonical. But this episode actually is the only on-screen mention of Dr. McCoy's daughter, Joanna.
2: Yeah, I went and uh, did some Googling with that to, to confirm that, too.
1: Yeah, but the reason why it's canonical to me, is because that character was actually mentioned in the Star Trek writer's guide. So Mm -hmm. it was officially supposed to be part of the canon and, not only that, but DC Fontana's draft of The Way to Eden originally featured the Joanna character as one of the space hippies.
2: Yep. And I believe she was kind of the one that made sure the name got in there for this episode.
1: Yep. But they, yeah, exactly. But they took unfortunately they rewrote uh, DC Fontana's script, and um, they took that character out, which is a shame.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And somewhere, somewhere in my brain, there's this reference because I, I must have known about her, and I feel like I've even seen McCoy mention her before, but I obviously I haven't. Um, so I don't know why that was floating around there. I probably read it before and just stored it, you know, somewhere in my brain. And I guess we don't see her in any books or anything.
1: Mm, I'm not a big Star Trek book guy, so I yeah. wouldn't know. I would have to ask Chris Ritzer, who's our resident uh, Trek literature guy.
2: Definitely. Definitely. That. he That's a good resource. I'm glad he's a reader. I, I haven't read like any of the Star Trek novels, so... I should do that sometime. but
1: Yeah, there's a good lot of them, th- though.
2: <laughs> yeah, there are. It's huge, and I'm already limited with the time I have to read. So it's awesome that we have Chris on board as a resource.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to tap him. Maybe I'll give him a call later and see if I can get him to make a statement.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, I was kind of disappointed, though, that Joanna doesn't come up a lot more. I think that added a bit of depth. And, and you know, the fact that this was kind of an offhand comment almost where he brought her up and there was really no it was just the fact that you know she'd been to school yeah on on this this world and then that was pretty much it it wasn't really delved into any further but I really thought that could have been a a McCoy uh, character building moment had they mentioned her a lot more often on the show and you would wonder you know what's it like for her having her father out there on a a starship on a five-year mission and he's out there in space and she wouldn't see him for a long time and but maybe, maybe the culture is different in the 23rd century and it's not that big of a deal.
2: Maybe. I think so. I just read a couple of months ago um, the autobiography of James T. Kirk. Hmm. And that, oh gosh, I don't want to snafu myself here. It's um, David Goodman, I believe, is the author hmm. of that book. And the great thing about that book is that it kind of fills in all of these little holes where information could have gone which is a terrible (laughs) way to put it Um, but it, it just adds a lot to the the depth of character and so that's something like if he did a mccoy one that's something that could really be uh embellished in that book definitely that would be cool
1: yeah that would be cool well hopefully that happens
2: yeah, I would love oh, to see it. it. It was a fun read um, for a book, so definitely recommend it, and maybe I'll send him a tweet and uh, suggest suggest that he do a Bones
1: there you autobiography. Go. Awesome. So let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, you know, I thought this was kind of interesting, that um, Nichelle Nichols was in this episode, but not as Uhura. <laughs> so Uhura... She was in the background in some shots. You saw her in some overhead shots. She got no actual lines, but Nichelle Nichols did voice uh, Norid, the, 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 the female quasi lead in this. And, you know, I was thinking to myself as I was watching this episode back again, that this is probably going to be a big sticking point for Heather <laughs> because we've we we, we heard you talk about how impressed you were with the Lorelei signal and the strong female characters and how contrary that was for Trek. And here we are totally backpedaling and going back to the typical female character. yeah in track so what 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 are your thoughts on this (laughs) this uh this shift back to where we were Uh,
2: so I went through and you know as I watched the episode I take some notes and then I go back and I watched it again just to refresh myself and outside of my my general notes I have a big why I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) and yeah um It's just kind of like, where do I even begin? So, yeah, Nichelle did voice the main character who is not not my favorite main character either. I really had just a big problem with the way that the main female character in this episode was was written and portrayed. You know, she was a lieutenant. This was five years ago that that he disappeared and she's still in love with him okay, lady, like, she, I would imagine that she had moved on at this point.
1: You would think. And,
2: uh, you know, has, I'm sure she's got a lot to offer, and I got really excited when she had the phaser in her hand pointed at him at, at one point, and then oh, she lets him go, because she just can't pull the trigger. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, just uh, really, really weak. Not Not what I expect. We saw, like, a second of Nurse Chapel, and we had another appearance by a new female character.
1: We did,
2: <laughs> Mores, who I I knew she was in in the animated series. I saw a really amazing cosplay at STLV years ago. Um, this <laughs> this girl had it had it down to a T, and she even was carrying around like a little litter scooper. It was hilarious. Um, but so this was my my first. Uh, first appearance of the character and first time i've actually seen her you know on the screen and so i she's intriguing i will give i will give her that because she's a cat lady right mm-hmm. you know she she captures your attention the minute that she's on screen because she looks really exotic and she sounds very exotic and to me it's just like a total sex token character I'm really eager to see what kind of part she plays going forward. But yeah. And, and looking over the episode, I was like, well, why did Kirk even call on her? Like Ahura is on the, like, you'll see her when they do the above head shots. Like mm-hmm. you can see her there. So why, you know, aside from just, we need to introduce this character, you know, why else would he have gone over her to go to her, to rest? Mm-hmm. I just didn't quite get that.
1: Well, it's one of those things. I think it's the byproduct of the animated series and being able to kind of do whatever they wanted to do. Was if yeah. They wanted to have some kind of a cat-like alien, they could just say, hey, we'll just draw it. It's easy.
2: Pretty much. I mean, I go through my first viewing of the episode. I'll go through and I'll be like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, they would know there was something going on. But, you know, at the end of the episode, you realize it's all written for a specific way you know it all it all is part of the plot and so I understand it but yeah this is just not a girl power episode at all and so I'm really I'm really torn because in that whole sense there is I I want it's awful but I want Nora to go away like we can never see her again that's fine um lovely lady I'm sure but I just no um no (laughs)
1: So the thing that I think the thing that really bugged me about her, aside from the the most obvious, uh, was the fact that obviously she's either extremely poorly trained and (laughs) doesn't remember that there's a stun setting on that phaser. I mean, she didn't have to kill him and all she had to just just stun him. That's all.
2: Yeah, but she doesn't want to do that. I mean, I get it's just the way that they write these female characters. Sometimes, like, I can do no harm. Oh my god! Um, but total, total side note here, really quick. So you know how it's been five years since right. he disappeared, and you know, McCoy was like so shocked, like that can't be possible. Uh, and I'm like, guys, you know, he was missing. Like he wasn't confirmed dead, so it could definitely be possible. But in doing some of my research, and I don't know if I should talk about this now, but because this episode reminded me of a couple TOS episodes.
1: Oh, me too. Go ahead.
2: Um, definitely. What are little girls made of?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because it's a, the Nurse Chapel story pretty much yeah. parallels this one.
2: Absolutely. With Dr. Roger Corby. Um, mm-hmm. Again, he had not been heard from for five years.
1: That's apparently a long time.
2: Yeah. In the but get this. So it also kind of harkened back to The Man Trap with Mm -hmm. McCoy um, and, you know, Nancy Crater. And in my research there, again, five years, five years since they had lived on the planet.
1: It's kind of back to the future moment, right? There's something significant (laughs) about five years.
2: Yeah, I just, it stuck out to me and I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? So yeah, total side note, but I just found that to be kind of fun, especially since, you know, those were the episodes that it made me think of. Um, and then there's a character that, that the Vendorian reminded me of, and I can mention that later. I don't know if you had anything to add to the the resemblance with the episodes.
1: Well, yeah, I had picked up on a lot of the same things. And another thing that I thought was amusing is this is the second time we see uh, a shape-shifting alien impersonate uh, Dr. McCoy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: that that was pretty cool to see kind of a throwback and, and have that link to those previous episodes. But the, the biggest standout, of course, was the Nurse Chapel what are little girls made of uh, tie in because that really felt like that's, that's why this episode felt so familiar to me was because we'd seen that exact same story essentially uh, prior. And of course, in, in both stories, the man turns out to not be who they thought he was uh, at the beginning. Of course, in Corby was a robot, but um, in this one, he's a, uh, Winston is a (laughs) shape-shifting tentacle creature but, um, I think the ending of this one is a little more hopeful than what are little girls made yeah. of, uh, at least, you know, poor nurse chapel didn't get yeah. to get her love back. At least, um, Norad in this one <laughs> in some way, shape or form does because, and you know, this was totally one of those things that they, I, I imagine they kind of penciled in to make it a little more convenient is that the, the Vendorians, um, uh, and I know I've seen this concept used somewhere before. But the longer they stay in somebody's form, the more they actually become that person, which I thought was really weird because it didn't seem to me that they had to actually touch anybody or somehow merge with anybody to shift into that person. So how do they become that person? How do they have that person's memories and feelings? Um, It just seems a little bit convenient for me, and not very well fleshed out.
2: Yeah, and we run into this problem frequently with the animated series. (laughs) As we find out that there's just not a lot, not enough time to really explain, like, what is going on, um, how how that process is happening, that they would absorb those things. It reminded me a lot of Dax and the symbiote and how all of that works. Um, you know, in DS9 and that Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, Jadzia and Ezri, like they, they all have a part of Dax with them and Dax remembers, you know, anytime he is in a different body, there's that memory there um, that they, they carry everybody with them. And so that's what it reminded me of, even though there was no direct physical (laughs) imprintation or anything. Hmm.
1: That's a good parallel. I like that too. Speaking, going back to Umrest for a minute, this was another one of those um, things about the the animated series that I also cite as something that makes it canonical, because although Umrest M- does not appear, again, outside of the animated series, the Caetian race itself does. So you see Cations in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, as members of the Federation Council, and... You also see a pair of Cation twins in Star Trek Into Darkness that Kirk is messing around with.
2: Right. I forgot about those.
1: They're also in the J.J. universe, so they got their introduction in the animated series and were used again outside of it. So more stuff that happened in TAS that recurs in other uh, movies and other places. So... You know, another way that I, I think it's hard to discount the animated series is canon.
2: Right. So they're totally, you know, just my, my initial impression from Res um, in this episode and then seeing them in the J.J. movies is that they're just, you know, a sex pot, <laughs> <laughs> um, just a very alluring character. And so, you know, I can see why J.J. picked that or whoever put them in that in the movie. Um, I can see why they would pick them out, and plus they're just fun. I mean, it's it's a fun, interesting character to look at. So again, I am just I I assume that we see more of her in the upcoming episodes. I don't know how much, but I'm hoping that she's developed into a positive character and something to make me proud of.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't. Of I won't spoil anything for you, so you'll have to wait and see. But. The uh, the Kaitans in Star Trek for the Voyage Home were actually males, which was kind of were cool. they okay? Yeah,
2: gosh, okay. So which scene are they in? Because I'm totally spacing on it.
1: They are well when you're when you see the Federation Council uh, and everybody's kind of milling around and talking. There's some shots of you know various members talking to each right. other, and you see them interspersed in there.
2: Okay, I think yeah, I think I remember that now. They're
1: kind of fuzzy faced and cat ears and
2: yeah okay cool well yeah you know they're they're neat i'm interested to to see more i mean i take care of kitties for a living so kitty people are cool
0: with me
1: (laughs) i have several here myself (laughs) so what did you think of the uh carter winston character uh in general you got this kind of you know space entrepreneur (laughs) if you will do gooder
2: (laughs) space philanthropist yes is what i like to call him you know i thought he was really interesting uh i it would have been great to have seen him in the original series and and developed a bit i i liked him i you know this this episode was interesting because of the way that it ended and it kind of got wrapped up with a nice pretty somewhat unbelievable bow And they wind up together, even though, you know, I guess as long as he can stay looking like Winston, everything is good. And Nora doesn't care because she has her love back. But, yeah, he was an interesting guy and kind of interesting that he just, you know, is a space trader and makes a lot of money and then spends that money helping people.
1: Yeah, I think they didn't they call him like the greatest space trader of all time?
2: Yeah, space trader. I wrote it in my notes. I was like, all right, we've got to
1: Yeah, I think I think Harry Mudd and uh, Cyrano Jones would like to have a word with him (laughs) about that.
2: I thought about that. I thought about them, too. Absolutely. Uh, But wouldn't it have been neat to have seen him? I mean, maybe we will see him. They can write another letter about this guy.
1: Yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll be a character down the road. I I just I thought it was kind of tragic and sad, though, that uh, the poor guy was this philanthropist and winds up dying because he crashed into a planet and just, you know, that was probably pred- they couldn't save him because it, it almost felt kind of like a almost like a cage moment where because uh, early on in the episode, he says um that they had to reconstruct him and regrow his bones and do skin right. grafts. So I'm having flashbacks of Vena
2: in yeah. the cage you oh know, and being gosh. rebuilt. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. Like, you know, before we knew anything, the first thing he says is, I've changed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, right then and there, we're getting a nice clue of what's going on.
1: Yeah. And he also questions, oh, um, well, McCoy's medical instruments get wonky. Uh And he he kind of jokes about, oh, do you think I'm not human? Yeah.
2: You know, and again, that was one of those moments where I'm like, "Come on, McCoy! Like, seriously!" And I know that you know he he admires the guy, basically saved McCoy's daughter's life. So, okay, I guess he would let it slide. But again, it was just one of those moments where I was like, "Really, really? Is this what McCoy would do?"
1: <laughs> what would McCoy do? Well, you know, McCoy <laughs> is kind of famous for you know forgetting everything he's experienced in the past and. Kind of going in blind and, and not thinking of uh, what what seems to be obvious to the Trek audience. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So, any other thoughts um, in general on this episode before we uh, close up our discussion?
2: Um. So I love the little jab at the end
1: oh, uh, between
2: <laughs> McCoy and Spock. I mean, that was like some true Tos right there, and just another part of I think what made this episode feel so authentically
1: uh, Tos. You know what else? Speaking of that, you just brought something up in my mind. You know what made it feel really TOS to me is that when you get the reveal, when the alien is revealed to Kirk and Spock, Spock immediately knows what that alien is. Yeah,
2: (laughs) that's how it happens.
1: (laughs) I love that. Like everybody else is, what the hell is that thing? And Spock's like, oh, that's a Vendorian, man. And he has the whole backstory on it. You know yeah. how they're they're kind of uh, barred and they're uh, to be avoided because of X, Y, and Z. I love that. I thought that was really great that he just gives you the whole rundown while the thing's like floating <laughs> in the air waiting for Spock to finish his statement before it throws them all over the room.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, again, there was so much about this episode that I thought was strong. Um, I thought the story was good. It had a good mm. pace. Like I didn't get bored watching it. Um, I enjoyed it watching it through. I think I watched it two or three times and I enjoyed watching every time. Um, So it was Shatner that did um, Winston's voice.
1: Oh, right. No, it's not. No. Oh, who is it? It is actually the famous. Television comedian Ted Knight.
2: Oh, wow. He sounds so much like Shatner that I thought it was Shatner.
1: Yeah, it's Ted Knight. He was in, uh, you know, Too Close for Comfort and uh, Mary Tyler Moore (gasps) show. He was in Caddyshack.
2: Oh, mind blown. Like I mean, I should have gone and checked it, but it's just sounded so much like Shatner doing a voice that I (laughs) I was just like, oh, it's him. Okay. I mean, I'm used to I know that they all do so many voices within the animated series. I just kind of took that for granted. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I'm trying to think what else, you know, definitely like, you know, we're, I've, I've been joining in with some of the gold key comic reviews going over. I've done what one, one now. Um, and these definitely feel a lot more like star Trek than the gold Mm. key comics do. But again, there's like the fun little things like Space Trader, which isn't all that odd of a name, a thing to be called, but it just stuck out to me. I like to make note of the funny little names that they have for things, both in the comics and then coming across here. But yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I wish that the female characters had been more prevalent and not so stereotypical swoony oh i just don't even have words like that's that's how much i didn't really i didn't care for norad but i'm happy that uh it all ended on a good note there and hopefully you know they're off living a life together
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i guess maybe he can make it so he doesn't shape shift back but i i as far as spock's backstory on on the uh that race. It seems like that's kind of their way of life. They're yeah, tricksters, and they like to use their powers of illusion to trick people. And in fact, they they can transform into inanimate objects as well, which I right. thought was really bizarre.
2: The table. Oh my god. Okay, so what a it great totally. That really, and like, how did McCoy not know, like, how many tables are in (laughs) sickbay? But you know, okay, what is the episode with the table in TNG, where they're they're in the holodeck, and they're having the holodeck do the table? It's, oh gosh, I can't remember what the title, and I just...
1: Where's Claire uh, when you need her?
2: Seriously, Claire, where are you? Um, But yeah, for some reason, it just, that popped into my head, was... Even though it's, you know, there's nothing in the holodeck holodeck shape-shifting into a table, but it just reminded me of that. And I just, that episode of TNG and the whole table, it's special in my mind because it's so ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) That was interesting. And they did, I mean, I felt, I really felt like the alien got, you know, kind of used and taken advantage of.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: You know, we know that he's, he was just trying to have a good life. (laughs) And, you know, even though there are these tricksters and everything, this guy was not quite in line uh, with with Spock's definition there. And so, you know, you you definitely felt felt for him. And I think any time that an episode kind of pulls on your heartstrings, that's definitely reminiscent of the original series and and the dynamic
1: there. And almost like a Horda-esque moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah. um...
1: The yeah. poor guy, he was an outcast and he just and the, and the Romulans gave him a purpose. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what how, what did he know, you know? He he didn't exactly. he didn't know about the Federation and you know, he may have thought he was doing a good thing.
2: Exactly. So, you know, you feel for him. Yeah,
1: what kind of propaganda did the Romulans feed the poor guy?
2: Oh, who knows? Man. Yeah. Well, we'll just we'll just assume that there's there were good good ending. And uh, even though he had to go to court, go to stand trial, that uh, it all worked out in the end.
1: Kirk put the good word in for him. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe he only got, you know, 20 or 30 years. (laughs) For sabotage (laughs) and espionage. I mean, he did sabotage the Enterprise.
2: Yeah. Well, but then he protected it. So maybe he gets six months. Yeah.
1: And he technically (laughs) didn't kill anybody. Right. Which aliens tend to do in Star Trek.
2: It wasn't that bad, so I think they would let him off
1: pretty easy, but... Yeah, and he he gently put Kirk into bed after he knocked him (laughs) out. That was nice. He did shove McCoy in a closet, though. Yeah. That's not nice.
2: I was just... It was... The the whole Vulcan nerve pinch move just... It just... It, it delighted me. I was like, "What? Well, yeah, exactly." I was like, "Okay, it's really fun for me to see these different elements from the original original series episodes, kind of put into these. Whether it's you know something like that, or just the humor that's there, um, it's a big part of what makes them enjoyable." And before I forget again, every time I watch these episodes, I ask myself, so. Who is the audience? Like, who's the intended audience here? Mm -hmm. Is this made for kids or is this made for adults? What do you think?
1: I'm not going kids on this one, man. This (laughs) definitely was more of an adult one. I don't think – I mean, just the love story aspect of it alone, I don't think children would really key in on. Right. You know, I don't think they would understand the fact that they were engaged and he was gone for five years and and what that meant and why she would have such trouble shooting him later on and – not only that, but the alien could be kind of scary.
2: Oh, he could be, but he's he's a cartoon. And he's fun. I don't
1: know. Oh, I know scary cartoons out there.
2: I didn't think he was scary. I thought that he the, could that, be. Uh, he could, I guess. I don't know. I kind of thought he could that... be your dad.
1: You know, <laughs> your dad could be a squid monster in disguise. He could be under your That's bed. Terrible. He could totally fit under the bed. That's terrible. He could You're be awesome. in the closet.
2: Stop! Totally. You're gonna make me have nightmares. <laughs>
1: Uh, He's got a cool voice, though.
2: Yeah. You know, and I completely, I agree with you. I I don't think that this episode was geared towards children at all. Mm -mm. You know, maybe a kid could enjoy it. Again, it it had a good pace to it. um, And it had some action between the Enterprise and the Romulan ships. um, And then, of course, the action going on on the Enterprise itself. So, you know, I don't have kids. So it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, a kid might like this. But... I imagine it might have held my attention uh, when I was little, but it wouldn't have been like, Oh wow, this is awesome. That De- definitely adults oriented this episode.
1: Yeah. No, no question about that. That's um, I don't think it's hard to argue. <laughs> this wasn't geared towards an adult. Yeah. But um, well, any, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap up for the evening?
2: No, I think that's it overall. Uh, I kind of put it, I don't know, like a B. <laughs> Maybe C plus B minus Ooh. somewhere in there. Okay. Only um, because of the roles of the female characters, I really wish that they had been more dynamic. Um, of yeah. And you know, even if if Norad had just stunned him, I would have been more impressed. Uh,
1: yeah, because we saw some some hardcore uh, female security uh, detail on the Lorelei signal just just busting yeah. caps.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And so that kind of set the bar high for me with it being the first episode of the animated series that I watched. So this one was definitely did not compare to that one in that sense. No, but it did not. yeah, but aside from that, I mean, I did enjoy it. So, okay,
1: fair enough. Well, Heather, thanks again for stopping by. This is uh, it's always fun to hear your perspective on these since you're a TAS newbie.
2: Yeah, it's fun to give it. I really enjoy both this and the, the Gold Key comics. Uh, like I say, every time it's really cool to get to explore and experience a new, a new Star Trek. So I'm jazzed.
1: Cool. Awesome. So we look forward to having you on future episodes. So we'll be doing another animated series show um, in the following weeks. I think we're going to have Shore Leave up next week. So um, yeah. it'll probably be two more weeks until we have another. Yeah. Um, animated series.
2: Crunch season is coming on.
1: Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> only uh, uh, like five or uh, six or seven short weeks away. Yeah. From the convention. So. It's um,
2: crazy. And I think we're going to. I know we've got two plans. And then for June. Short leave episodes. And I think we might try to work on two more in July. Uh, that are maybe a bit more general. General chatter as we get some more guests coming in. For sure. I. sure. I'm definitely kind of hoping, maybe expecting some, some more big names, um, but we'll see. It's so tricky with the, the new film coming out in July uh, that any of them will be there. We just don't know.
1: <laughs> no, we have no idea.
2: So. Yeah, so eh, crossing my fingers, I hope so. I know that a lot of people um, are looking forward to them, and I'm the lucky girl. I've already met Carl Urban. You know, McCoy is my favorite of these, these characters in the new films. Um, I think Carl Urban does a great job. Plus he's a Trekkie. So he's just, he's just so, so much fun and a great entertainer. And I felt kind of bad because he hasn't been announced for STLV, but he will be here in Denver next weekend Uh at Denver comic-con. So sorry guys. I get to see him. I'll, (laughs) if I see him, I'll tell him he better make it to Vegas.
1: Cool. (laughs) <laughs> awesome well thanks again heather it's been a lot of fun
2: my pleasure
1: and that brings us to the close of another episode of the tricorder transmissions you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash the tricorder transmissions twitter at ttt underscore pod and of course our own website the and we will see you next time